0: I'd say it's, it's definitely one key thing. Uh, if you really think about it, of all the demos you've seen in the past, uh, whether that's on the vendor side or on the buyer side, it's usually a one-way street. So somebody sits there, the vendor, talking a lot and showing a lot, and the other person just you know relaxes, is listening, and is watching something on their screen. Uh, that's the major mistake. Uh, it should be as engaging and interactive as possible. And with that, I don't mean that you shouldn't do a free for all in your demos because that's not gonna lead to any close, uh, but it should be a guided interactive session. So for example, if you already know about the pain point you're trying to solve together with that potential customer, make them experience the solution themselves and make them see the light together in that demo session. Whether that's by you know, letting them explore that software where you guide them to, or actually them you know, showing you something in a collaborative way um, where you then together can go across the finish line.
1: Hey everybody, George Soto here and you're watching Demo Diaries. Today, I'm joined by Joe Van Erps, who's the chapter head of Revenue Collective in Munich. He's worked with a variety of different early stage startups and is an entrepreneur himself. Uh, Joe, how are you?
0: Hey, man. Nice to uh, be on the show. Uh, I'm very well. Uh, Currently also in Munich uh, in a shared office space that's completely empty. Uh, and uh, yeah, just taking my time uh, and very happy to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, I know you've been really busy and, uh, you know, have helped grow some early stage startups in our space Uh, recently, YC company uh, recently as well, and uh, really thankful for your time. Why don't you uh, take a quick second to introduce yourself and, you know, tell us a little bit about your career background and how did you get to uh, where you're at here today?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So uh, as you already said, I'm Joe, uh, currently based in Munich. I was raised uh, in Brussels, in Belgium, in a very uh, international environment. And uh, the funny story how I all got into the startup scene is uh, by doing something completely else at the beginning. So uh, initially, I was studying mechanical engineering in Switzerland, and uh, soon I found out that is definitely not the career path (laughs) I want to pursue. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be talking today, I think. Um, but I found my passion early on there uh, in sales as I w- uh, was founding my my own company uh, with my uh, partner Etienne uh, he uh, he and I we had a business idea that we saw working in Germany, so we tried that out in Switzerland uh, that worked out pretty well. and uh, since then, you know, knowing more about potential customers getting to know their their problems, uh, getting to know how we can help with the service, that's what really got me into sales, uh, and I haven't looked back since then. Uh, that journey took me on to Munich, and uh, as you already introduced me, yeah, working with uh, two uh, very early-stage uh, startups, uh, one in uh, in legal tech and after in the uh, yeah demo environment space as yourself.
1: You know, I, I have a strong affinity for entrepreneurs just because... I self-identify as an entrepreneur, you know, that has learned sales and, uh, and marketing, uh, you know, sort of like s- tactics or skills over time. And, you know, I, th- I think that like being a great salesperson is essentially being a, an entrepreneur, right. Uh, or you, if you're a, a rep or an SDR or, you know, any sort of like revenue side, uh, sales rep, you know, you, you essentially have to, you know, be the entrepreneur of your, of your schedule, right. Of your quota. And so I think that for me, particularly now during this, like, you know, post COVID world, you really need to be an entrepreneur and be able to self manage and self-motivate uh, in ways that maybe were less important before because you were like in the office and it was easier to dial in i mean you know we're working from home uh, all of us right now and it looks like remote is probably gonna stay for a, a large portion of you know your day or or, or your week is what i'm hoping too because i always hated going into the office 20 like all all the time right 24 hours a day worrying about having to go in there um so so i definitely uh i definitely really appreciate the entrepreneur in folks
0: yeah i mean uh, early on when i when i started out Uh, It all started by, you know, making cold calls. So I I pretty much had no idea what I was doing. And, uh, you know, my schedule wasn't really a schedule because, you know, everything was without a real process, uh, without real tactics, uh, you know, without best practices. Um, But I I think for me, that was a a good thing because I've now seen, you know, both both worlds starting out in in sales without having a clue of what you're actually doing. uh, Somehow that worked out back then. Um, but I was very, uh, you know, uh, grateful uh, for the opportunity then to then also jump into the software uh, space and, and getting to know uh, what a good SDR is and uh, knowing what the hustle should look like and then also making the move uh, into a closing role uh, all along. So um, I do agree with you. Also, now that we're almost always working from home, Um, I I myself, I like the hybrid uh, option. Uh, So obviously Mm. feeling the vibe sometimes, but uh, also being comfortable at home. Uh, And sometimes it just helps me uh, focus more, uh, to be honest as well.
1: Yeah, totally. And the commutes and all that. I remember I I lived in New York City years ago and I worked for a a MarTech startup there. And oh boy, (laughs) the commute was a two-hour commute. Every day, and it just really—it was the commute that really grinded, right—and and wore me out over time. So, um, so yeah, like the the hybrid role. I I, I hope that that hybrid kind of model um, is uh, is going to move forward and be Defin- the future, yeah.
0: right? Definitely, definitely. The, the maybe one more thing to add there. The the first uh, legal tech uh, startup that I joined in, in Munich. Um, it was it was quite funny because. We said, we're your remote help when it comes to data protection and data privacy. But then we were visiting uh, our our major clients on site all the time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So uh, that didn't make uh, much sense at all. And now, uh, you know, everyone just noticed, hey, it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, let's talk a little bit about the demo. You have... You know, extensive experience working at a startup that was addressing that, uh, a recent YC company, and uh, and then of course carrying a bag, and and then I think one of the unique attributes of your experience is that you're in Amia and you have primarily sold to Amia, but. Uh, also the uh, American, North American market. What are some of the nuances when it comes to demos and, and that whole motion uh, that you would say is uh, specific to that regional sort of focus?
0: It's a great question. Actually, uh, in the revenue collective uh, community, uh, where I'm now extensively involved in, um, we're discussing this all the time. Um, so I'm majorly in contact with European companies. But as you said, I also sold myself to uh, American-based companies uh, and my, my peers as well. And actually, one thing that we almost all agreed on is that the major difference is actually in the very early stages of a, of a deal cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is um, if we're talking to companies, international companies that also have headquarters in, in the States, Uh, you know, they know what a typical discovery looks like. They know uh, that the second or the third step is then a demo with different stakeholders, depending on how big the deal is. Um, If you're trying to do that, especially now in the DAC region, so um, where we also were major, you know, um, selling to uh, for the majority, uh, is that those companies, sometimes they think if you're starting with a discovery, you haven't done your homework. So if you're asking questions uh, about the business, about their challenges, um, usually what we heard is, didn't you do your homework? Um, I was expecting somebody that is prepared of uh, you know, knowing what our company does. And uh, they take that as an offensive thing. Um, so we had to adapt it. Um, it's, it's definitely very early in the stages where we noticed, okay, if you're talking to a German-based company that maybe doesn't buy software all the time, uh, in, in a SaaS environment, uh, you should you know, adapt. And uh, what really helped is explaining them and briefing them on what's going to happen. Uh, so what we usually did is before the meeting happened, not only sending a typical reminder out, hey, we're meeting in 15 minutes, but maybe one or two days beforehand saying, this is what we're gonna do. This is the goal of the meeting. Sometimes that's not needed with other companies, but in EMEA, especially in DACH that is one key thing. If you're not doing that, you're, you're going to lose some deals. Uh, Mm. So that is one major thing I'd highlight there.
1: You know, my experience working with Germans uh, is that they're, they've been generally incredibly organized and punctual. And I, I, Really enjoyed doing business with uh, with that region. So this very much feels uh, in line with with what I experienced. Well, let's talk a little bit about where you go to get your demo, right? At at a company uh, in Amia. What what are like you know generally the workflow and and kind of where do you typically go as a sales leader? Is it something that generally like. Uh, your team will own under sales engineering or you know or maybe you're going to engineering and asking them to help what's typically the process there
0: yeah so um as you said in the introduction uh, i'm you know for the majority of my time i you know i was in very early stage environments um so you can imagine uh you're having 10 heads on sometimes uh so for, for the last company Uh, that I worked with, I was the first sales hire. Um, But as the team grew uh, and and the revenue team grew, so having customer success, having sales, having marketing, having the engineering team uh, on board, uh, we definitely said that full-on ownership lies within uh, the vendor, the seller, uh, so the account executive role. Um, However, if you're preparing a demo, um, the first thing that we always highlighted and that we also advised our clients on is making sure um, you know who you're talking to. Um, now, this sounds like a cliche thing, but uh, not only, you know, the, the person in the company you're demoing to, but also the industry. And so what we did is we had uh, or do have playbooks in place. Um, that definitely had a guided structure based on the person and the industry you're selling into. Mm -hmm. Because um, I actually had this situation two days ago uh, where somebody in the revenue collective community asked about playbooks. Um, My first question was, what do you define as a playbook? So for some people, that's just a general structure of how an organization should look like. Mm -hmm. But for us, uh, uh, for example, it was definitely the way a conversation should go. So, Um, Should it start, you know, in a consultative way? Is it for the industry that is already familiar with remote sales, with remote workflows, or should you educate first? And, um, you know, based on the playbooks we had built, so imagine having 10 playbooks, we always had one key playbook. And then it's really dependent on the account executive to adapt that to that one single company. Uh, But in general, that's the workflow we've had. And uh, that's also a major challenge we solve because we are seeing that preparing a demo takes so much time if you want to do it well, uh, especially if deal sizes are going over 50, 60k ARR. Um, so having that general structure already ready um, that definitely helps. And of course, marketing uh, uh, or later on, if your company grows, solution engineers uh, come into place. Um, but at the beginning, uh, you should really do that yourself, and the owner should should lie uh, in the account executive role.
1: Got it. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see how the EMEA market has embraced remote work, right? And just because I know that there are certain markets there that have been a little more traditional and then they were thrown into, hey, everyone's got to work remotely. How are folks adapting to this new reality?
0: Yeah, so um, from my point of view, um, I've talked to ma- the majority of sales leaders, right? So uh, uh, not so much to marketing, for example, but uh, all my conversations with sales leaders in the EMEA space, also uh, in the DAH space, um, there was one thing that really you know, surprised me, which is You know, adapting to a remote environment usually has something to do also with how you're approaching sales training, enablement and readiness. Those are the three things that I usually talk about with them. And here's one thing that we found out in the community after really asking those leaders about these terms. It turned out that 48% of revenue leaders could not explain the difference between sales training, sales enablement, and sales readiness, and wow. uh, my my question to you is: uh, Did you think that that number was that high? No, <laughs> it's it's, I, it's yeah. I thought it would be more obvious. It it surprised me, and so adapting to a remote environment starts with these things, um, because if you want to build a revenue organization, that should be uh, quite clear, and uh, that is essentially. Uh, one key thing of uh, you want to adapt with your customer, with your potential customer, and you want to uh, you know, really be a consultant uh, for them. No matter if you're selling something or not, you know, that first step is uh, being seen as an expert. And so that's the approach we took. Um, and in general, of course, in the SaaS space, people adapted really quickly. Uh, because best practices are usually in place and usually came from the leaders in the American space, but traditional uh, you know industries uh, they're very much not there yet, and so it starts with that consultative approach, and I think it's the responsibility of any vendor to start with that, making sure that they already have those things in place because otherwise you're going uh, to have a problem later on in the in the sales cycle.
1: absolutely what would you say is a, a killer demo? What are those attributes of a killer demo?
0: Yeah, I love that question um, because obviously we wanted to answer that question all the time with uh, uh, my past company as well. Um, I'd say it's, it's definitely one key thing. Uh, if you really think about it, of all the demos you've seen in the past, uh, whether that's on the vendor side or on the buyer side, it's usually a one-way street. So somebody sits there, the vendor, talking a lot and showing a lot, and the other person just, you know, relaxes, is listening and is watching something on their screen. Um, that's the major mistake. Uh, it should be as engaging and interactive as possible. And with that, I don't mean that you shouldn't do a free-for-all in your demos because that's not gonna lead to any close. Uh, but it should be a guided interactive session. So, for example, if you already know about the pain point you're trying to solve together with that potential customer, make them experience the solution themselves and make them see the light together in that demo session, whether that's by you know, letting them explore that software where you guide them to or actually them you know, showing you something in a collaborative way um, where you then together can go across the finish line. That is so important. All the demos I've seen uh, often were just a one-way street, uh, you know, just listening talk ratios of 90% by the vendor. Uh, That's just wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I hear all the time, right? And it's, you have the vendor sitting there speaking for 90% of the time, 10%. Maybe there's some discussion uh, with the uh, prospect. And if that's happening, most likely they're not engaged, right? Especially in this remote world, right, where it's very easy for me to be distracted. So, uh, that makes total sense. Are there any nuances any for, for folks who are sitting there, maybe in the US, sales leaders, AEs, uh, SDRs, who are trying to break into EMEA accounts, any tips that you would give them around successfully engaging and doing business in EMEA? Now, I know it's uh, it's, it's, a, it's not a straightforward question or, or answer, I should say, and, and primarily is because EMEA encompasses so many different cultures, right? And nuances. One country that sits alongside another might have a completely different uh, sort of, uh, um, you know, expectation for a, a sale is what I've experienced in the past. Any tips that
0: you would give folks out there? Yeah, um, there's one thing that really worked well uh, for us. Uh, and uh, I'd say this is less about the demo technique, but more of how you are trying to connect uh, with those folks, your, folks you're talking to uh, in EMEA. And usually there's this, for example, in the German space, there's this uh, you know, view that these people are not very open uh, and, and they don't like talking too much. Uh, but what will re- always help, uh, whether it's the first demo or the third demo with the key C-level stakeholders, uh, is asking those people a very likely random question, a personal question, and then just listening to what they're answering. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. give you uh, an example. Let's sure. say- Let's do it. You're, you're, you're selling me reprise, right? Um, I'm somebody who's trying to you know, uh, perfect their, their demos, doing it faster uh, in a very enterprisey organization. And I'm a very senior stakeholder. And uh, it's going well, but it, there's not that much engagement going on. And suddenly you ask me, hey, can I ask you just a question? What's your favorite movie? Have you ever done that?
1: You know, I, I can't say I've asked that question I've and especially in the middle, I've uh, yeah. sort of like done in the beginning rapport building and and that kind of stuff or maybe uh, at the end when when we've sort of moved past the strategic conversation. Um, I notice I say strategic conversation. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I haven't actually uh, I can't recall. OK, so that.
0: so here's a tip I would give to everyone listening and watching this. Um, is uh, ask that kind of random question somewhere in the middle just off guard and then people obviously will wonder wait, wait you're good okay um and then they will answer uh they will answer and essentially what will happen is um they loosen up again and they have a very relaxed feeling but then you can use that information that they've given you in that special moment they will remember you because nobody ever has asked them that during a demo uh, especially not in the middle. And then you use that information to craft a perfect follow-up email that has something to do with the information they've given you and make that extremely personalized um, for the next meetings. It's something, it works perfectly. Um, and uh, we, we've just started doing that uh, at, the, at the beginning. I remember that it was one of our uh, AEs at Demo desk that started doing that. And uh, that's something everyone started doing at the company and it works amazingly.
1: Awesome. Well, I can hear my puppy in the background crying (laughs) here. Um, Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time. If folks want to follow you on social media or learn more about what you're up to these days, I know uh, that you're heading up the revenue collective chapter there in Munich. What are the best
0: like handles to reach you or social um, channels? So definitely LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always on, on LinkedIn. So uh, just connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll take it from there. Um, and I think my information will be available then uh, after posting this episode.
1: Awesome. Well, Joe, have a wonderful morning. And uh, I, or I should say probably, what is it? Uh, it's it's uh, afternoon. 2, afternoon. 2 PM. <laughs> yeah, it's morning yeah. for me, 2 p.m. there. Awesome. Well, yeah. hope, to, have- uh, hope to catch up again here shortly.
0: Absolutely. It was uh, fun talking to you. Thank you so much um, for letting me be on here and uh, have a great start to your day.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Take care. Bye-bye.